This is Paul. This is Caroline. And welcome back to our coverage of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. This is for the second episode of the fifth season. This one was called It's a Man, 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 Man World. Do you know what that's a reference to? I do. I mean, the mad, 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 mad world. Yes, it is. What was your overall feel of this episode, Paul? We've got an awesome cold open here to start off with. It went about like I expected it to with the writer's room not being the the most fun place to try to adapt to for Midge. Mm -hmm. When I was preparing my notes for this, I, I noticed that where Susie had been front and center in the first episode... She really is is playing a complete support role in this episode. So it's it's like the time available to service all the various characters is being budgeted in every episode now that that we're I'm now starting to notice, I guess, who gets what amount of time. And we also had another goodbye character <laughs> in this episode. But uh, your original question is what did, what did I think about it? I enjoyed it, and when it was done, I wanted to see what was coming next. So that's that's what a TV show is supposed to do, and that's what it did to me. What about you? I like the pacing. I'm glad that we're moving forward pretty quickly, and we're not getting sort of bogged down and stuff. I feel like we are doing a good job of continuously showing how Midge was shaped as we were going along here. Her career, the the choices that she's making, were things that we talked about in season four. We talked a lot about like in really made sense to get her in a writing room a la like sort of uh, I love Lucy kind of uh, feel to it and so this felt right I am really enjoying these flash forwards I know there's a theory out there in the subreddit world about that the flash forwards are like fake or something like that that these aren't really a part of the story I don't want that to be true i hope no. that's not true because i am cool with this yeah i liked the don't 60 minutes time. yeah don't do that i like the 60 minutes with mike wallace biz here i i mean 60 minutes is totally a part of our growing up like i remember do you remember on sunday nights like oh yeah our parents like totally had that on because i want to say didn't it didn't it play directly after whatever the sunday football game was yeah it, it football and 60 minutes ran they were right like, together and then they yeah. were like clashing though because i remember like if the football game went over over, then 60 minutes would be like 45 minutes. <laughs> right. Or you might find this on the way. Now, this is how old I am, but you might find 60 minutes on the way to, you know, the, the, whatever the Disney movie was that week. Oh, of the week. I was going to say, actually, I think Murder, She Wrote also played on Sunday nights. Well, I think so those that been I think right around there. 60 minutes is CBS, and I'm pretty sure so was Murder, She Wrote. Yeah, I'm kind of thinking they might have played like right next to each other, so... Funny, funny. I mean, so little information that we gleaned from this cold open. We have that Midge and Susie having a falling out that is like terribly sad. But I think we kind of knew that again, going back to the interviews that were given by ASP. She said she wanted her kind of like that Sophie Lennon style that we saw of like living in a big penthouse with dogs. And, you know, it wasn't about her love life. It's not about her being a mom. It's like this is like her career and like what she created. What did you think about this idea that Susie was going to be representing all these gigantic names? Like when they did that montage of pictures like Liza Minnelli and everything, what'd you think? Well, I loved it. I like that Susie still has that dogged attitude. And, and even though we haven't seen her specifically appear, we get that sort of third party context of how she's doing through Mike Wallace's comments. The fact that she would keep going, it starts to suggest maybe 
what the source of their falling out might have been. You know, it could be I want to go this way, but I I, I know what I'm doing. And I'm, then the other one's like, but I think you should go this way. Mm-hmm. And if you look around, it kind of looks like I know what I'm doing too. Right. But they both can be right, I suppose. We certainly have learned that from covering This Is Us, right? Both things can be true. So You know what I liked about this opening was how familiar it was. It wasn't real, obviously, because Midge isn't real. But seeing a character, a person, a comedian, who has this long-standing reputation of just hilariousness, you know, they have this body work that is second to none. It speaks for itself. And then years later, after their, their prime is somewhat over, and you get them in an interview, and they are just zero percent funny you know what i mean <laughs> okay like i don't know if you ever saw like lucille ball or something like in an interview I have, it's like yeah holy crap this is like a totally different person well i think see to me what and, and lucille ball is an excellent example you know we only as an audience get to see her in the slice of the pie where she's playing her right, character right. of lucy right and so you don't really understand her full like 360 which is you know she's a businesswoman like she owned the production company with her husband and she was very involved this was not just one of those like slap her name on it like she was very involved in the business so you star know, trek fans have to thank lucy yeah. for star trek <laughs> tell why desilu productions was the production company for star trek and she was the figurehead at desilu pushing to keep going because it was expensive it was new it was they needed to like throw out the pilot and try again and she was the biggest figure there saying we need to keep going with this so, so yeah i mean that's a great example then of like so when you see them doing interviews you're expecting to just get lucy from i love lucy and it's like that's not who who lucille ball is you know mm -hmm. she is this complete full package you know person who is brilliant in the entertainment industry so i i agree with you that like yeah it did remind me of that but it didn't i didn't take it so much as like you're taking it like this person's just flat or something they're not as exciting as their persona i'm taking it more like there's so many parts to the industry that the part we see them when they're like on stage doing their bit is just the tiniest slice. Well, unlike, you know? unlike those occasions, though, we have seen Midge's day in and day out on TV. So we know that she is funny in person. She is cracking good jokes. She is sharp. She can be witty. And it just wasn't landing with Mike. And I think that I have seen that in other interviews with other other comics who's, who's it doesn't have to be women, it, just any comic who's, whose prime period has passed. Did you have any, now this is, this is maybe just Nat shit out of the pepper here, but did it strike you as weird that they were having this interview at like a working dock, you know, like, like a pier where working ships came in and out? The only time that we've been in an area like that has revolved around Susie. So that was mm. like the thing that was like kind of taking me aback. Like I was like, I'm not exactly sure what we're doing here. The background did catch my eye and, and was like, what a strange thing. The camera work also struck me, you know, because they would only look at Midge and only look at Mike. There wasn't like a, you got, you didn't ever have them both in the same shot talking to mm -hmm. each other, you know? And so that was the type of camera work that makes you think those two people aren't in the same place at the same time. So that was interesting. I mean, I looked back, I mean, I did not think that was old footage of Mike Wallace or right, anything like that. Right. that. That did not 
make me think that. But I did go back and look. And yes, you know, there's an actor who's credited for that role. And, and it is not Mike Wallace. So so in case anyone is confused I mean, by these that. these days, digital likenesses. Uh, it looks awfully similar. And I mean, we did get like a Forrest Gump kind of montage of her, you know, with Bob Hope and her like supposedly doing college tours and all this stuff with all these still photographs of like what mm-hmm. looks like a huge blow up with the crowd. So curious as to like what happened with things like that. I think we're only going to get little snips like that where someone just says in passing like, and this didn't go well, you know, and you just saw a photograph. But like, we're never going to know, like, what did she say? What happened or whatever? I don't think. And, you know, we live through those sorts of things in real life where not us having said those things, but we see where a star, a comedian, whatever, has that moment where they lose their audience. And that may last a year or two before they get any kind of traction back and but in this montage it's just like well that happened but then she found a new audience with the college kids that may have been years that that took to fix you know well and i found that part to be kind of interesting because i mean her entire shtick up until the point that we know her right now has really revolved around her being a housewife Mm -hmm. her being an ex-wife her being a, a female comedian you know she talks about that being a mom on some level she talks about that or her parents but this whole portion of like going to get a younger crowd in a college setting i was thinking what would she be talking about exactly i wonder that would catch a 18 year old person really excellent point like sense of humor so i was i'm curious how much her act changed over the years and maybe as she got teenagers in her own household maybe her jokes and her comedy changed a little kind of skewed towards maybe some more stuff going on in her life that would match up but it did seem a little like huh you know like she this isn't her audience really so curious how she changes and and morphs I'm enjoying these flash forwards. I think they're great. I really thought that the clothing auction portion where she was like walking down the hallway and showing the different outfits. Now for me, I love that kind of stuff. I think that was some sort of fan service where they were acknowledging that we've all loved the costumes so much throughout this entire series. I mean, they're talked about so much. They're on display at a bunch of different exhibits around the country. You can go see them. It's the type of thing where I thought that was cool fan service where they actually held up different items like, remember this one and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And it was it was neat how they molded the story to where it was actually Midge holding up the outfit, talking directly into the camera, kind of breaking the fourth wall a little and discussing where she wore this outfit. Do you remember this? It was literally a walk down memory road with our character, you know, which was like, what a fascinating way to do that for the audience, especially as we're wrapping up here. And a cool tie in with bringing up that she and Susie don't talk anymore, but Susie picked that outfit that she pulled out to spotlight. Exactly, exactly. So lots going on there. I'm enjoying them. I mean, do you have anything negative to say about these cold opens or or do you think we'll continue on with having more of these flash forwards? Yeah. Uh, I think it'll... Uh, Is this I, it I don't for know the entire season, do you think? Do you think every cold open will be a flash forward now? Yeah. Okay, but cool. I don't, I, don't know, I don't know that we'll merge... You know, we're like timelines. We're finally or meet. Yeah. I would guess Seems not. Seems like too much time. Well, I think that that's like the 60 minutes footage kind of fills in some of the stuff I bet, yeah. you know, of the stuff we're not going to see. That's where I think we are at. Now, you were talking about another goodbye that we have here, right? Yes. Um. So I, I'm... Interested to see how fans are going to enjoy this or not, but we we do seem to be going down the entire cast list of anyone who ever guest starred, bringing them back on and and having a moment with them. Did you need this closure with Silvio? 
the old Milo, if you will, if you, you, know, if you love a Gilmore Girls, Jess. I didn't. However, I have incomplete thoughts about how I think of Amy Sherman Palladino. And it is part of her endearing qualities, how loyal she is to her people, her friends, her favored co-workers. Like, for instance, with Milo, there were only a handful of people there in the pictures with him when he got his Hollywood star, his Walk of Fame star. Guess who one of them was? Amy Sherman Palladino, you know? Nice. It's just cool that she's loyal to her people. I think we see that in other things, like in Yellowstone, we see Taylor Sheridan, you know, recasting the same people in different roles or we've seen um like with damon lindelof like he definitely has like creatives that he likes to work with and yeah. you see a lot of of consistency there i agree with you i think there's something about that that makes you feel actually kind of uh, like chummy with those creatives because you feel like they have like a gang of people that they hang with and as an audience member i think you can kind of like be like, well, I'm part of that gang, <laughs> right? Like I'm into this and they're about like making a click and, and I'm cool with that. So to finish out this Silvio storyline, I didn't really need to know this. I'm wondering if this was almost because you're bringing up the personal relationships, one of those things where they didn't want to leave his character looking like a scumbag. Mm. And so it's like he was able to come back. It's almost more like saving face for the actor and being like, we don't want to have been where you came on. And essentially we made you look like a jerk. Yeah. And you did wrong our our main character who we're supposed to love. So thanks, but no thanks. We don't need to see you at any fan cons or anything like that. We don't need your autograph over here. But they fixed that by filling out the rest of the story, by giving closure and by letting Midge accept his apology, it's like, oh, you, I'll wait in line for you now, you know, or now you can sit up there by Rachel, you know, in interviews, but before we were pissed at you. This also, the running back and forth, of course, this is very, very <laughs> Palladino. I mean, this is what they do of the frenetic energy, the running around, the fast dialogue, you know, the like switching places, you know, kind of stuff. It's kind of slapsticky and whatever. It reminds me a lot of sort of the Ferris wheel episode that we had yeah. where the dialogue was kind of yelling over other people and stuff. All of those things. The cop at the end cracked me up because I know I looked at you and I was like, just like a New York police officer to wish love on everyone. <laughs> like, classic, really. <laughs> very classic. Yeah, I was like laughing. Can you imagine like, being like the production designer or whoever it is that has to like assess how much these things are going to cost to build and sets and something. It's like you want a subway with like multiple period correct cars in it. <laughs> I, I understand there's probably just the two cars, even though it looked like it was meant to be. Might even been one. The whole bunch of cars. Right. It might have been just the one. <laughs> but still, I mean, just for one bloody scene, it seems very expensive. We have a lot of respect for those for for the the creatives who do things like figure out how do you do that? How do you make a scene like this where you're running up and down the stairs and you have multiple platforms and stuff? Very interesting. I'm glad you brought that up, actually, because we didn't mention in the last episode, uh, we did a little research to figure out where was the airport? Like, where because, you know, you right away were like, no, what place looks like this? And I'm like, wait, wait, I've seen pictures of that. I'm on a lot of travel groups like on Facebook and the TWA retro hotel that exists at JFK Airport in New York City. You can um, it's actually in Queens. You can check it out. 
they have this amazing existing hotel there that you can go and stay at and you can even get just like a day pass. So if you have like a long layover, you can go and like use their amenities. You can like swim, you can like eat in their retro restaurants, all this kind of stuff. And they have a lot of stuff. Paul and I had a lengthy conversation actually the other night about how people dress at the airport. And uh, I was relaying the information. I can remember being horrified in like, I want to say the 80s when they came out and they said, women, stop wearing pantyhose on the plane because if, you know, if there's a fire on the plane, like the pantyhose are going to melt to your leg. And I mean, I was a kid and I was like, this is horrifying. <laughs> you know, like, what well, this is nuts. But shoot, I mean, we were wearing pantyhose on the plane. Now I'm like, should I wear my pajamas or my jogging pants? <laughs> like, right. My literal pajamas. <laughs> Literally, I wore that night. Um, yeah. Just got to make sure that they don't burn. Right. Apparently and melt to my legs, <laughs> right. uh, apparently. But but you're right, though, Paul, like when you're talking about the sets and how cool it is that they got a chance to use that TWA um, set or like how they, you know, figure out how to do the, the period piece portion to the whole thing. Very cool. Very challenging. And I think that they're doing an amazing job with it. Of course, things like costumes and stuff make a huge difference with all that hairstyles. Whatnot. Sure, sure. But you could tell like the out, you could tell by the cars, you know, they weren't oh, very yeah. big. They had like the big visible like rivets and stuff on they they looked right i mean i yeah. don't i don't know exactly what a 1961 car is supposed to look like but i imagine it's that yeah i no i think they did a great job with it so silvio i think we are done with you i don't believe we're going to see you again although we did get some nice apologies to one another this is the first day on the Gordon Ford show. She's all nerves. I would be very nervous. And man, to start off with that secretary desk where they're like, we have no idea why you're here, what you're doing, all of this. I mean, I, I would be pretty frazzled. I don't, I mean, I know you, I think you'd be, you might've uh, just gone home. I think I would've just gone home actually. <laughs> yeah. I know you would've just gone home. You would've come home and I'd be like, Aww. what are you doing here? You did like the secretary wouldn't let me in. It's like, dude, did you ask somebody else? No. <laughs> and then what? And, th and then nothing. I, I would tell you to go back. Right. You'd, you'd say no lunch if you don't get that job. <laughs> there may have been a time when I did hold lunch hostage when someone wasn't trying to get a job too much. <laughs> Not hard enough for lunch. <laughs> Not for that. I was working two jobs. I was over it. Totally over it. You know who's super over Midge in this episode? Everybody. Mike Carr, uh, the other writers. Who 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 would you like to tell me is over Midge? Oh, I was going to say Mike Carr. I mean, uh, my, my fave line of this episode is definitely going to be the... Mike, 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 Mike. <laughs> since, since our fellow podcaster's name is Mike, I have already harassed him that I would like to use that for any part of any podcast I can slip it in. The way that she just breaks that out and it's and it's infantile, but she has to do something, yes. you know? Yes. With the writer's room. Did you recognize any faces in that writer's room? I recognized the guy who played the, I don't remember his name, the character's name, but he played Shitbrick on American Pie. I feel like he had like a formal name, like a proper, very proper Yeah, name. I mean, he had... The, the, His he, mother did not name him Shitbrick. Just Stifler. Stifler named Stif him Shitbrick. There you go. So that guy's in there, and you recognized somebody from... Uh, I did. I recognized um, one of the actors from Only Murders in the Building, who actually okay. played a big part in the last um, season. 
the most recent season. So he played a big part. And I was like, hey, hey, I recognize these people. So so there are some familiar faces in there. What a process. I mean, trying to come up with 20 jokes in an hour, I cannot even imagine. And I cannot imagine having to sit around and like pitch like this and just get knocked down like constantly. I mean, the way that she even just had to continuously like drag the chair over even to try to be like a part of the group at all. This is going to be rough. How long do you think before Midge like cracks any of them? Or does do you think she cracks the writers group at all? Or is it all going to be Mike Carr and, you know, somebody else within the group here? It might be that she might get pulled from the top. Yeah. Up. Yeah. I can see that this group seems difficult to actually bust into. They're barely telling her anything of how it works. They're not helping her do anything. And like, you know, when it came time to pitch jokes, I perceived that Kason's bullshit during the bathroom, I, I perceived that as a flex against her because they weren't taking a shit during anyone else's jokes. Oh, good call. Yeah. Only hers. Several shits, in fact. So I think they were just maybe just peeing. Well, whatever. I mean, I wasn't doing a number one, number two check when they came out of the bathroom. You like vibe check. Yeah. But, but. My point is, though, they only did it with her. No, you're right. They were being passive aggressive with her big time. And the way that they would just keep like leaving the room or leaving the area, wherever they were standing, they would just walk away from her like constantly. Very competitive environment, even though they seem all laid back, laying on couches, whatever. But they're keeping track of jokes. Yeah, yeah. They're shooting each other down viciously when they get a chance. Well, and then Gordon, I don't know if I thought he was going to be such a tyrant, you know, like the way that they were all so scared of him and... He seemed much more like, I don't know, like aggressive and hostile than I thought, you know, Mm. I don't know. I mean, I think that it's a complete misnomer that anybody that we see who has these like friendly, personable type personas, I'm like, let's use like Ellen DeGeneres, right? Yeah, she she games, whatever, all these fun things. Oh, she's so crazy, whatever. But then people are shocked when she has a side that's like harsh and serious and aggressive and and assertive and all the words like, what in the world? Like, do you not have dimension to your own personality? Like, come on. But I didn't really see it coming with this Gordon guy. I don't know why. Maybe because it's the 60s. I'm not sure what I was thinking. But when he came down and he was just like, well, I shouldn't even say that. When he was standing above them, like mm-hmm. a king up on his freaking balcony, I was like, oh, that's the dynamic here. There's a lot more bowing down to him personally because it's not always the talent. Like it could have been George, the producer. It could have been Mike Carr, the talent booker, I guess, is what he's doing. There, right? He's also a producer, but he seems to be the scheduler for the talent. Yeah. Any one of those people could be the one who's like, you know, taps you if the joke gets in or whatever. Right. So I was surprised that it was Gordon. Were you? Because I kind of I kind of thought he was more of the, like the guy they put up front, but he wasn't necessarily any type of decision maker. Ultimately, it's his name on the thing. It's his face telling the jokes. I think that's probably a realistic template for how these shows run. And, you know, similarly, I think people have found out after the fact, like, say, Johnny Carson or... Oh, yeah. ...was a pretty hard ass away from the cameras. But that's shocking to me that people are so surprised. Like, what do they think it takes to make it in this business? You really think you can just be like, hi, how are you? To, like, everybody all the time on camera and off, like... No way. It's a business. There's a part of it where it's not just a business, I guess. It's a cutthroat business where someone is trying to come up behind you and steal your spot every second of every day. So 
everything is so much pressure to get it right. And like, I know there was other shows on at the time, other talk shows that they were going to be up against. And it was like, I can't imagine now we have like, what, five, six, seven, eight more talk shows on every night, right? That you could watch late night TV. But even them, I can't imagine the pressure to try to not have the same jokes that other people are doing on their show because you're trying to comment on current events mm-hmm. and things like that. And it's like, there's only so many jokes you can do about a particular thing. And and like, can you actually ignore certain events if everyone else is covering? Like, it's like, you have to do a joke about the president's thing that day or whatever, you know? Right. So, man, what a difficult job. Do you think it's realistic that Midge could make it in this writer's room in terms of like the fact that she is a stand-up who sits there and molds her own observational humor jokes that she then works and works and works and and tries in different different rooms with different audiences and all this stuff. This is not 20 and 1. She needs to give this a chance. I mean, for her own process, for her own maturity her her, like understanding how jokes get to the level of being on national tv is something she needs to know that's true and she does have worthwhile instincts as she proves to herself anyway with that diaper joke that the others shot down that she tries at the burlesque house later and everybody likes it She's got like kind of like both things. She she knows what she likes and and knows what is what she knows is funny. However, it's still gonna be worthwhile to know what these other guys who have this job think is funny and know is funny. I think it's a an important part that she needs to give it at least a half a year. Yeah, I think it's an entirely different. In my brain, I I'm thinking of it almost like a some sort of comparison to sports and doing some sort of individual event versus doing like a team sport. And it's a very different everything. The idea that you have to play off of each other and you're trying to make jokes that sort of build and you're not trying to step on toes about the topics you're you're making jokes about. But then there's also this sort of feeling of like, you are pushing each other to do better, but you want your stuff to be, you know, the stuff that gets noticed and gets actually on air. So you're right, there's this like sort of underlying competitiveness in a nasty way, because in order for your joke to get on, someone else's joke has to be cut. Yeah. So it's like, oh, man, like what a weird feeling, because most of the time when you're in sports, your team is all working for the same goal. There's no need to hope that the second baseman flubs the ball so that you can be the one that catches the ball. No one wants that. Just catch everyone catch the ball. Right. Right. Like you want that. So no one's ever rooting for anyone to mess up or not do good enough ever. So it's this is such a strange mixed environment of everyone do your best and be successful and let's have the best show ever. And also let's backbite each other and, 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 you know, like you said, like dog out each other's jokes and stuff. That's just part of the process, you know? And man, now they have this actual show where Gordon's hating all these jokes. Everything's changing till airtime. I would be so freaking anxiety ridden. It seems like Midge couldn't help herself during the entire filming of the show. Like she just kept, it was like she was sucked to the spotlight. It seemed at times like they would have to pull her back and be like, you can't be in his eyeline. You can't be, for God's sake, at one point, it almost seemed like she was going to be on camera because she was like sneaking and sneaking closer. Yeah. So do you think, is this some sort of foreshadowing of her actually being in front of the camera? Maybe 
coming on for Gordon some night when he can't do it. Maybe he gets sick. Maybe something happens. I don't. I don't. Ooh. I don't guess that they're actually going to tap her in a well thought out. Well, let's give Midge a chance. No, no, no. it's not. It's going to be an emergency situation where Gordon's got to have someone step in. That's a really neat observation. I hadn't considered that, but she has done that. Mm -hmm. Like I think at Joel's club, didn't she like force her way up on stage when there was like some. Oh, I think there's been multiple times when she just manipulated the situation or just like you said, kind of steamrolled the situation and just Mm -hmm. forces her way into the spotlight. But it's like you could almost see the magnetism to where Gordon was standing, you know, to the monologue spot. It was like she couldn't even get out of like the death ray, you know, grip that it had on her. That's how I'm reading that. Did you see that any differently? I saw it more simplistically. Uh, I'm, I'm afraid it to admit. work on many levels. No, I, and don't, don't feel like that. No, no, that, no, that's, I mean, the foreshadowing aspect is a, is a more mature approach to it. I just thought she's just absorbing everything and she can't even help herself. She loses track of her position in space because yeah. she has never been here before. And the, and the other men are kind of, they're not helping her a whole lot. Oh no, not at all. The man that came and moved her by the shoulders back to their grouping was probably doing that because Gordon would have yelled at all of them. Yes. Rather than just her. So that was self-preservation. Yeah, I I 100% agree. Kind of going back to that sports metaphor, I think about like the managers or like I know that there's a football coach. I'm not, you probably know his name where he actually has like a hired assistant that pulls him back off of the field. Have you seen that? <laughs> yes. I can't, I don't, I cannot remembering the coach name, so I apologize. But it's like he gets so engrossed in the game that he crosses onto the field all the time. And so he Which actually- Which is a penalty. Yeah, right. so he actually has a full-time staff member. The only job that guy has is to pull on the back of the coach's shirt and pull him back uh, like onto the sidelines. I mean, that's exactly how I felt like Midge was, was doing this. Like she just cannot help herself. But I will go with you on this levels thing. If you take it at a very straightforward level, to me, I think this was screaming her naivete about live television and about like what you're saying, your your place on the stage and your where you can be and where you should be looking and who can see you. Like if can this camera see you because you're like now in the way. I think that's important because she is the type of person that makes a lot of mistakes at work for whatever reason. She manages to always have some sort of fire in the wastebasket kind of situation that she does because we've seen her do this literally with every other job where she accidentally sticks her foot in her mouth. She will do something that ends up pissing everyone off. Her naivete about how a live operating set works feels ripe. (laughs) For like, what are you going to do, Midge? You know, this just, I can smell it coming. So let's cross our fingers that Midge doesn't get get herself like decapitated on set here because I feel like she just does not get it, you know? We'll see. You know who I really loved of the crew here that that we got a chance to spend a moment with? It was Teddy, Paul. I love Teddy's big round butt. You do like a big round (laughs) butt, that's for sure. I 
thought he was so funny when he had his butt up in there. I was laughing so hard. I was like, daddy's butt. And then like one second later, they actually made a comment about it. And I was like, oh my God. Because I'm just like, I'm thinking I'm the only person who notices stuff like big round butts waving in the air. Do you think the casting <laughs> people had to be like, oh, no. bend over? Oh no. Do you think they did? Oh no. Or what if they didn't? And then he just did have a big round butt. And so then they actually they wrote, wrote it, in. it in. Oh, which one do you think it is? So we, if oh. we ever interview Teddy, the cue card man, We'll have to be like, were you cast for that big round butt? Or <laughs> did they write your big round butt? Or is it just like a value add show? to the whole situation? <laughs> I think that's awesome. I love it. Oh my gosh. So she was so worried about that outfit, you know, she was going to wear because of the sitting job. But she was also worried about drinks afterwards, which I didn't know if they were going to show us any of that action, but we did get toots. Toots. <laughs> toots. Not toots. Toots. What do you think? I think it's hilarious that they only wanted to go to Toots because <laughs> that's where Gordon wasn't going to go. Again, saying a lot about Gordon. The little bit that we've seen him with his people, he, he is personable, I guess, but he is still the boss. Yeah. And so I think there is probably a line where he reaches interpersonally with his subordinates where you're not on his level enough to make whatever that comment was or be that familiar with him. So it's just too awkward to do more than you have to. Well, I mean, certainly there's like a line, right, with coworkers and bosses and whatnot. Yeah, it's sure. like only so fun, <laughs> provided no one's ever going to put you on the carpet for what you said or did, right? Mm -hmm. It's got, it better stay after work. So do you think there's anything to this X Factor business with the writers suspecting that Gordon is sniffing around for Midge? Yeah, I do. I think I said it in the last episode that I was smelling Well, you were thinking some... Mike. Yeah, yeah, that's oh, you, true. You think just, just any old man is, <laughs> is, is hot to trot for the midster? Kind of. They kind of make it that way where, I mean, wait a minute. We have to, how are we not talking about this? In the 60 minutes section, since we're talking love life, four marriages? Mm. So we got three more to go. Holy smokes. And a lot of divorces. <laughs> Well, maybe, you know, maybe there's some deaths. Well, one can hope. <laughs> well, I guess I guess there's that. I hadn't considered that. You know, I mean, I yeah, four marriages, though. Wow, that threw me. Hey, speaking of ex-husbands, were you surprised that she left that brisket in Joel's fridge? Yeah, but, you know, she's she still wants the best for him. Do you know that there are people out there that hunt for that casserole dish? You can actually find it, and people find that pink casserole dish line like at like you have to go to like thrift stores and stuff like that to find it but they find it hmm. they, they put pictures up on all the time like on facebook fan groups and stuff like that no i did so not funny how about this did you know that tupperware actually came out with a whole line of marvelous mrs Maisel tupperware like in that sort of pastels and stuff like that that i did not know that yeah how about i'll give you one more paul pantone who does the color of the year mm -hmm. and they created an entire color line based on Mrs. Maisel. You could buy the paint that's in her room or there's, buy the paint for There's a production like that. designer that's loving that recognition. Uh -huh, I bet so. So that that type of stuff, very cool. I always love it when we can see like TV and movies influence into, for me, it's home decor, but I but I, I love it too when it's like clothes or it's hairstyles or even makeup, fashion stuff in general, I, all that stuff I love. But man, when it gets into home stuff, you have made a difference. I mean, did, our local furniture store, we have this huge 
you guys would know nationally because we're here in Houston. So you might have heard of Mattress Mac because of the last World Series. He was very prominently in the front of things, doing things. Well, he owns a furniture store. They have an entire line of furniture, the Yellowstone line. Mm. You can have the bed that you see the Dutton sleep in. And, you know, wow. I mean, that's amazing. This is the type of stuff we definitely talk about over on Hollywood to your home. Decorating the set. With Beth Kushnick. And so definitely come listen to some of those episodes if you want to listen to how TV has has affected the way that we do stuff in our own homes. I love it. But I was pretty darn surprised to see that that brisket casserole. But they never stop caring for each other, obviously. Right. And I mean, the way that they have chosen to do their divorce, they had Thanksgiving all together, you know, like and, and not just. Midge went over to the Maisels with the kids and had it, which is what most of that would be. But the Weissmans were there, too. Like the whole family still all gets together, despite the fact that most of the time you would not see that. Last episode, I predicted that Joel would continue a low swing in his character arc. And this episode did not prove me wrong. (laughs) He's not in this a lot, but while he is there, he is a little shitty. A little shitty. Yeah, you know what? I was getting strong Christopher vibes off of him when he yells at Lorelai for saying that he should discipline Gigi more. And she's like, well, don't talk to her. You shouldn't be talking to anybody. Like that kind of business. Yeah, a lot of that vibe was coming through. Yeah, I thought that Joel was really stretching on this whole situation that somehow Midge was the reason why May decided to derail their entire future. I don't think so. Joel, grow up. Joel. Uh, <laughs> he's fooling himself this whole time. He is. Hey, you know who's figured out the mystery here? Who's Rose. That? Rose? Rose. She's figured his haul out. I am absolutely flabbergasted that they burnt down the tea room. Holy crap. I mean, when they pulled that shot back and it was like perfect line of like it burned only the tea room on both sides and it's like a part of this huge block of buildings and it was like absolutely isolated i was like wow this is insane so for listeners that aren't sure why the tea room is significant why is burning the tea room significant oh well this is where she's been doing her matchmaking and uh basically her office it is her absolutely her office and kind of like her turf in many ways like this is where she meets everybody and this is like her place so yeah by eliminating her office they are uh, those matchmakers are hoping to eliminate rose completely what did you think about rose deciding to call noah and try to talk to him at work oh my gosh well at least it's consistent that she has no idea what her children do yes good call i would say she probably has no idea what abe does either and none of them know what she does that's yeah (laughs) yeah or 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 even why what each other is doing is significant in any way Mm, mm mm-hmm Because what I'm talking about is very early in this episode, Midge is trying to explain to her parents what a writer on a show like Gordon Ford even does. (laughs) I love their whole business about about, there was a man saying he was Churchill and he had no pants on later on. And they're like, so it wasn't Churchill. And they're like, no, because they're trying to convince her that like some man just looked like Gordon Ford, perhaps, you know, and she was just confusing this man and she didn't really get this job. Like they're so fascinating because if you asked me if they were good parents or supportive parents, my knee-jerk reaction would be like, 
oh yeah, I mean they're there for the kids. Like they they all live together. Like they're really close. But then, like you just pointed out, nobody knows how each other spends their day or like their comings and goings or what they actually do or how they're impacting the world in any way. They don't really know. And they don't actually make any attempt to understand, I guess is what I want to say. Like, there's no follow up. How many Mm -hmm. times does Abe be like, I don't know. I don't care. I don't care about what you're talking about. I think you burst out laughing several times because throughout the couple episodes we've seen so far, he's just been like, yeah, I don't know. I (laughs) I don't care about that. I don't care anything about what you're saying. I think that you would love to say that to people on the regs. I'm afraid so. (laughs) I'm afraid so. But with your question about Rose and and Noah, he's been very cagey about what it is that he does. So, you know, she's just exploring her options. That's hysterical that she thinks it's appropriate to like say all this stuff on the phone. He's like, these phone calls are monitored. And it's like, I'm surprised he didn't just hang up on her like so much sooner. But I'm so glad that she actually revealed to Abe in this episode what's going on and that it's these other matchmakers and this stuff. And they got to take this stuff seriously because now the tea room's burned down. I mean, that's big stakes. So, all right, let's get, let's move over to Abe for a moment. This interview opportunity was wild to me. Abe's whole story in this one is going in a very goofy direction. I mean, it's fun to watch. I have no idea why they're doing it, though. The thing for me is that if you watched Year in the Life, Gilmore Girls, Lovers, how this is not the Naomi Schwab, I can't even remember, say her last name. Shropshire. 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 <laughs> How is this not that whole storyline where like he's sitting down there and having this interview and she's this eccentric outsider and and, oh, my God. And then just the way that they interacted where it's like everything she said, he was like unsure of like what this actually meant. That was so what was happening in that. So this was wild to me that they decided to go down this this route. And then of all the people on the entire show, if you line them up in order of like sexuality, right? <laughs> Whose sexuality are we going to explore? I feel like Abe's was like very low on the list, right? <laughs> so the idea of us like exploring like what is sexual harassment? Like what is, you know, her making a pass at him? It was like, wow, of all the people, I don't think we guessed Abe was going to be the one. Neither did Abe. No. <laughs> uh, uh, how'd you enjoy getting a little Digger Styles back at the Village Voice? Well, you know, he was never a popular Gilmore Girls character, but the actor... For you, yourself? You didn't enjoy For Jason? anybody, I don't think. No? But, I mean, the actor can pull off the ASP dialogue, which is key and especially scenes like this to pull off these little jokes where the where the flow <laughs> it's it's simply the flow of conversation they're, they're not landing gigantic humdinger jokes you know there's just is this sexual and, and, and it's just the way back that and Abe forth. has his hand on the guy's thigh and it's so high up and it's so and he's like you can take your hand off not like that whole part <laughs> oh my god so funny there's something about Abe that is so of a time. I'm sure people can act this obtuse every day, but there's something about him and the way he is he is depicted, like where he can be so genuine and so real. Like he's really asking, is this a sexual move? But then he has this fascinating lack of awareness that like you 
brought this up because he's all about being appropriate and, you know, having manners and etiquette and all this stuff. But then it doesn't dawn on him to take his hand off this man's leg, you know, like there's this sort of like moment of like he will take it to this place where it's not it's like so uncomfortable for everyone else. But but he doesn't get that. It can't be sexual because it's it's before 7 p.m. Right. (laughs) Oh, my God. That was so funny. The whole thing. 630 if you're pushing things. (laughs) What did you think about AB actually using this like leg technique on Rose later? Well, that's what I'm saying in terms of like I don't know what what we're doing with Abe in this in this show at this point because he's he's had uh, an arc of change and self discovery and all right? that. He's, he's at the Village Voice currently because of that. Mm-hmm. So maybe there's maybe he's gonna have a sexual more to go <laughs> w- w- with Abe. I don't know if I'm ready for a sexual awakening for Abe. <laughs> Again, not where I thought the show was going. Well, you know, we saw that interview with him and Marin Hinkle. We did. And they're like arm in arm, even though he's married to some other lady and whatnot. So it's like they're clearly very close. They are. They are. You know what? I really enjoy that, too, actually, when the cast genuinely enjoys each other. And you can tell they would be friends. I mean, they were obviously, you know, linked arm in arm, sharing an umbrella together and everything. So they were very cute. You'd think there were a couple yeah, if, if absolutely. You saw them on the screen. I was so surprised, Paul. I did. I, I looked this up because I just did not guess this. Tony Shalhoub is 69 years old. I did not think he was quite that old. And then Marion is only 57. Now, here's the thing. In that time frame, when they would have gotten married, that wouldn't have been weird at all. Not at all to mm-hmm. me that he would have been so much older than her. But I just was really like wowed because they do such a great job with makeup and hair and clothes and really it's rose's demeanor that makes her feel so much older you know because she's got all these staunch rules and she's very prim and proper so you get you get her age from that but you know when you see Marin angle outside of Maisel, i mean she's so young and vibrant i mean i don't think the woman had a wrinkle on her face you know no and it was like wow i mean and here we have tony shalhoub who's almost 70 it's like (laughs) wow All right, so let's move into some predictions. What do we think is coming for episode three? And are you, this was, you know, this was the second of a three block that we got to start here. So are you enjoying the pacing? Are you enjoying the changes that have come from season four, which felt more, now when I'm looking back, it actually felt more like we were watching a movie or something like that versus this actually feels like episodic TV to me. I am liking this season. I mean, I didn't have the problems with season four that a lot of other people did. You know, I think they're having to compress some amount of story that could have been told with more TV if there had been, I don't know, I don't know where like the disconnect might have been, whether it was how much it cost to make the show, whether it was like Amazon or was Mm -hmm. it ASP wanting to move on to something else? Was it the actors ready to to move on to other things? I'm going to throw it. It might be the impending writer's strike that many people were aware of. And I think that's why we saw the end of a lot of shows that could have kept going. Succession being one, this being another, that's like, I think that nobody wants to be in the the mess that the writer's strike is going to be in May. Could be. So with that being said, though, uh, I don't feel like each episode itself is overly compressed. I just feel like there could have been another way to stretch this out a little bit more. But I'm still enjoying it. I'm, I'm very much enjoying it sort of the day by day with getting Midge up to professional, you know, national act status, which is, I think, where we're supposed to end up with her. These are the steps. These are the steps. Like if you look at other working comics today, 
they do similar things. Look at John Mulaney, for instance. Right. Not, not a woman, but he was a SNL writer before he was a, a touring national Netflix act. Right, right, you know, right. This is the way it goes. You, you, you don't exist just by yourself and then all of a sudden you're Sophie Lennon in this universe. Right. That time has passed. I think you could use like, you know, certainly Joan Rivers again has been like the template that Midge was sort of laid across. But, but when I'm thinking, when you just said John Mulaney, I actually thought of Tina Fey in the same way. Like, there you go. You know, she starts off in the writing room and then, you know. Head writer is, then. Right. And head writer and then moving into, you know, being in front of the camera and being way more a star in her own right, you know, beyond writing. You know, yeah, I think there's a lot going on here. I mean, I think I see the path laying out for us. Like you said, like I could see her needing to substitute for Gordon one night, whether she goes on as the as the stand-up act for the night or whether she goes on as the host or whether that morphs one to the other. And then perhaps she's offered a show. I don't know. Well, Joan Rivers is the template. Joan Rivers was offered a show and she she did. She did sub for Johnny. The time did. frame isn't quite right, but it's still the same idea. What's really fascinating about that, though, and what could shed some light onto like what's going to happen with Susie and Midge and all that kind of stuff. In watching some interviews with Joan Rivers about that part with Carson, when she was given the opportunity to have her own show on Fox, Carson like never spoke to her again. Really? Yep. So as much as he gave her all these opportunities and he she even dedicated her book to him that like he made it all happen for her. That's like what the little dedication says that, you know, she was just like she was like, I, you know, he's a talented man, but he is mean. He is mean at the end of the day. He was, she was like, I was on this little tiny Fox show that nobody cared about Fox. They had, had no ratings had nothing. I was not competition for him. And yet he just cut her off completely. Mm. And so that might be what we're going to see starting to happen as we kind of figure out how Midge's path works. I could see where maybe she she has all this support within the industry. And then as she becomes singularly famous, it's possible that other people don't like that. You know, nobody Gordon might not like another fish, you know, swimming around with him up there, the big pond. So. We'll see what happens, but I could definitely see where that could get some clashing with Susie and management and everything. Right. You know, she's got to go one way. If Susie wants to keep booking talent on stuff like that, she can't burn bridges with shows like that. So it's going to start to get to be, I think, very complicated, but I'm looking forward to it. I'm loving this season. I like it better than four. This might be my favorite season really in this whole thing so far because I really like the flash forwards. I really like filling out these characters more. And as much as ASP and Daniel enjoy doing the small bits that go on, they're moving the story forward. These two episodes have moved it forward. So I'm ready for more. This is Caroline. And this is Paul. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Amazon, Audible, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Give us a five-star rating so other people can find the podcast and enjoy it as well. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.